We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Jacob Albrocht, Tommy Castor. This is Sports Daily on Wichita's number one sports radio, 97.5 and 1240 KFH. He's got all the insight on what you want to know and maybe some of what you don't want to know. Here's K-State insider Tim Fitzgerald. All right, here we go. Good time for the hype music. We bring in our buddy Tim Fitzgerald. Tim, we wondered, was there a chance perhaps K-State made a coaching goof and didn't show enough against Tulane? Was it that? Was it a light bulb moment for Adrian Martinez? I I think the former. I think that Colin Klein and, and company held a little back. They turned him loose. That's what they're capable of. And what we saw against Oklahoma seems more like the possibility of the season again. That's a good feeling coming out of Norman, not just because they won, because it reaffirms the ultimate ceiling for this team. Agree or disagree? I think it was a little of everything. I think they did hold stuff back. Um, And then when they needed to get stuff done, they'd been so conservative. Adrian wasn't able to kind of shake out. But in hindsight, I'm, I'm, I'm still in shock at the evolution of a player from one week to another to be so... Um, mundane, um, you know, really didn't look invested in the Tulane game to, you know, playing like an All-American Heisman Trophy winner um, against Oklahoma. It's, it's shocking. If they can get anywhere near that um, for the rest of the season, Kansas State's going to be really hard to beat. Tim, what do you credit that to? You know, because I thought the same thing you did watching Adrian Martinez. I mean, I'm sure surely a lot of it has to do with coaching, but some of that is just internal with Adrian Martinez, right? To just sort of be able to go out there and play freely. Um, how how do you assign the credit to that transformation from one week to the next? It looks to me like he was so risk averse early in the season. He was so wrapped up in his reputation of. Uh, turning the ball over too much, he overcorrected and he, he steered right into the ditch by going the other way. Um, and, and they told him just to literally, Chris Kleiman said, cut it loose, you know, pull the trigger. Um, and he did. He just let it fly. And it was uh, impressive to say the least because he not only uh, played relaxed and free, he didn't have turnovers. And he didn't look like the guy from Nebraska either. 
So he kind of went on to the other side of it and, and got, you know, into the good version of himself. He still has zero turnovers this year, which is impressive considering his reputation. But now he's done it with a really loose and free performance against Oklahoma. Let's let's be honest. So there was a couple tip passes or uh, bouncing balls that, you know, could have led to a pick, but he didn't have one. And uh, it uh, turned out to be very fortuitous for K-State because I think, you know, one mistake might have swung the game the other direction. As we look at the team, as we look at Adrian Martinez, he's still, I I don't think, I think we do know one thing. It's never going to be a a big play passing game as far as like ball down the field. But I think we kind of knew that anyway. Is him running on design plays, which were executed so beautifully by Colin Klein, but is that aspect of things, as we saw in the big third down conversion, that was clearly a designed run, but... Is that aspect enough to take the pressure off of the traditional run game to allow both things to happen? Like, will that be enough to allow teams to stay honest against Deuce Vaughn? Or is there still another level the pass game needs to reach, do you think? Yeah, you know, they tried to go deep, truly deep one time, and the ball got away from Adrian. It looks like it slipped or something and was poorly thrown, and Malik Knowles had to turn into the defender and, probably committed pass interference to break up the pass. But um, I I think it's there. Uh, I just don't think it's something K-State is that interested in unless they need a quick score. And I I think there's there's a fine line they're trying to walk between being able to move the ball, being able to go tempo without getting so reckless that you put your defense right back on the field, even if you scored uh, by putting your defense right back on the field you put them in peril of, you know, running out of juice, which would have been horrible down there. I mean, um, the defense was already shot, so you didn't want to be a quick score offense in some way. So uh, I think they are trying to manage the clock while uh, doing some things a little bit differently than what we've seen over the last 17 years. They're, They're not going slow down all the time, but they're also not trying to, you know, score immediately and, you know, just kind of get into a shootout mentality, which is not at all advantageous for Kansas State. Talking to Tim Fitzgerald uh, from GoPowerCat.com here on Sports Daily. And, and Tim, one thing that I noticed uh, in this game on Saturday, I'm not sure that it can be understated how important it was for Kansas to go out and Kansas State to go out and start that game strong early. You know, they got up 14 nothing. Yeah. kind of punched Oklahoma in the mouth a little bit because then the game was, was fairly even throughout the, the remaining three quarters. Did you notice the same thing, and, and what were your thoughts on the way that Kansas State started that game? Yeah, I did. I mean, it was really important. They, Chris Kleiman intentionally took the ball after winning the tip flip, which is not something he typically does. He's done it a few times. Um, and they drove the length of the field. I think 11 plays and 75 yards in five minutes. And, um, set a tone for the game right there. That not only were they going to move the ball, they were going to end the drive with a, a touchdown, which is something they, they did consistently. Um, I, I thought it was fortuitous in the one play that I think really flipped the game around. Once Oklahoma kind of climbed back into it, and keep in mind, Oklahoma never led. They tied it up, but they never led. Um was when Cade Warner, or excuse me, when uh, Gabriel, the Oklahoma quarterback, overthrew Stoops 
um, on a fourth down, and it would have been a touchdown if he'd hit him in stride. Uh, and that that empty drive for Oklahoma it seemed to be the difference in the game. And then, of course, Oklahoma tying the score at 14, and Malik Doles returning the kick past the 50 just kind of came right back at Oklahoma and was a, an appropriate answer as Kansas State was able to score on that drive, too. So it was one of those games where every drive uh, counted. Even if you scored, how did you score? And eventually Kansas State in the second half, even on scoring drives, Oklahoma is having to work for it and eat up clock and eat up energy. And I think uh, it all played in K-State's favor at the end of the day. All right, so it's Texas Tech this week as we're talking to Tim Fitzgerald, GoPowerCat.com. It's a shame it's not a national game because it should be, but it's not. But it's a it's a relatively early game, noon. Tech has been – look, Tech – you know, Tech's got some good wins. They beat Houston in overtime. Uh, they beat Texas. They hung with NC State, who's also ranked. They've played an absolutely brutal schedule the last three weeks, now into the fourth week, and it'll keep going on that schedule. But what do we know about Tech? What do we see? Uh, are you feeling good matchups for K-State, or let's let's get into this one? Yeah, it's interesting. Actually, the game's at 11, um, and it, it was pre-designated to be on ESPN+. Plus you know, from two weeks ago when they said it. Unfortunately, they they had the other four games on six-day windows, so they could have put this game on the window, too, and and actually uh, gotten it right and not had it on the streaming service. But that's okay. I mean, K-State picked the 11 a.m. kick because they actually played pretty well in morning games under Chris Kleiman. And uh, this is a really intriguing matchup because this this Texas Tech team's 3-1, and one, but – They've got a win over an FCS program and two overtime wins at home. Uh, so they've been walking a really fine line between success and failure. Uh, Joey McGuire is a great coach. He takes a lot of chances. We'll go for it on fourth down. Uh, they're playing with a guy that was supposed to be their backup quarterback who does a great job in the run-pass option, zone reads. A lot of the stuff you saw from K-State at Oklahoma, he does very well. Uh, but he's also a little bit mistake-prone. Uh they they can be a little ragged around the edges. They just find a way to win, and they're persistent, and they keep coming at you. So this is going to be uh, interesting. Again, we go back to what Tommy said. If you can get up on them early and kind of put them away like NC State did in, in uh, Texas Tech's lone loss and lone road game this year, then you're going to be in pretty good shape. And I think that's really imperative for K-State to kind of hop on Tech and and get after him early in this game and not let him hang around. Texas let him hang around. Texas had an opportunity to put him away in the third quarter and didn't do it. They kind of were lackadaisical. It was one of those Texas performances that you can't quite explain, uh, and Texas Tech made him pay at the end of the day. This is a good team. Uh, and the fact that this team and Kansas were picked for the bottom two rungs of this conference tells you everything you need to know about how competitive competitive this league is this year. I want to ask you about Joey McGuire a little bit more in depth um, and how you prepare for a coach who sort of laughs in the face of conventional wisdom. Like he's going to go for it. It's going to be fourth and three a lot of times, like midfield, and he's he's just going to go for it, roll the dice, and and make it work. And, you know, I feel like nowadays a lot more coaches are willing to roll the dice, but not as much as what McGuire is doing so far in his tenure at Texas Tech. So if you're Chris Kleiman – and you're the Wildcats, how do you prepare for a coach who really isn't going to typically do things the way that you think they should be done? 
Yeah, it's it's kind of fun. Um, and what's fun about it with Texas Tech is I think every team uh, that plays a conventional brand of football gets to fourth and one or fourth and four, and there's some tension. You know, it's, oh, my gosh, it's fourth down. They don't have that. They do it so often that it's just another play in many ways for them, and they make plays on fourth down, uh, you know, sometimes wild plays. But maybe also those are – they take chances that they won against Texas, but maybe the next time around they don't win. Um, it is very, very, uh, you know, kind of loosey-goosey. And he's, he flat-out said it at Big 12 Media Days. I'm a high school coach that gets to coach college football. And so he still has that Texas high school mentality in some ways. And I think it could come back to haunt him because he always had better players than everyone else. And that's not going to be true at, at Texas Tech, at least early in his time there and until he starts recruiting, you know, maybe at a higher level. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be an entertaining game. I know that. I mean, even if you get up on Texas Tech by 21, they're just going to keep coming at you and, and, and taking chances and going on fourth down and uh, just – trying to make your life miserable and that that's a fun brand of football if you're a texas tech fan yeah and look watch the videos like they're bought in just like in the state of kansas i think we have two coaches that feel like the perfect fit they finally got the swag back at the coaching position that they've lacked since mike leach because it's a special place it's a unique place right and i I, i think that I think it the fit seems so perfect and it just feels like they're going to be dangerous all the time which is which is like vintage tech and peak tech when you know attitude wise they're going to bring it no matter what that feels dangerous to me. You're right and you know Jerry Maguire is also running a very similar offense to what Mike Leach did it's you know come at you machine gun style just play after play after play um that was their first sellout in about five years down at Lubbock. And that, first of all, that was hard for me to believe that they had me fallen too. on that kind of hard times uh, in terms of fan engagement. And I'm glad it's back. They're incredible fans. They get a little overzealous down there at times, but uh, there's so many similarities. And I've said it again and again, and I don't mean that's a shot at Kansas or anyone else in the Big 12, but I kind of see the spinal column of this new Big 12 uh, at least in football, being that that line of ag schools from Iowa State to Kansas State to Oklahoma State to Texas Tech, um, and there's a lot of similarities in those four schools. Uh, and I think this is going to be a growing rivalry within the Big 12, the new Big 12 between K-State and Tech because of the similarities and because Texas has decided that they're they're too good to play Tech just as Oklahoma and Oklahoma State aren't going to be playing anymore. And so we're losing a couple, you know, longstanding traditional rivals that won't play because of conference realignment. And I think Tech K-State will begin to warm up a little bit. All right, Tim. Score prediction? What are you thinking? What's what's the final verdict from you here? You know, I was a little surprised that the spread was eight. Um, K-State's it, favorite it by eight. It seems big to me. Yeah, that's a that's a big number. Now, I do think K-State will cover, but I'm not comfortable with saying that either, um, particularly considering how badly I've missed on K-State the last two weeks. Um, so I, I do think this game will um, end up in double digits but not be there 
you know, for much of the day. I think K-State's going to have to literally put Tech away and get him down by two scores like they did with Oklahoma. So this is going to be a fun game. There's a few tickets left. They're, they're bordering on a sellout. They might even be there by today. Um, and if you're wanting to see a K-State football game, I'm telling you, folks, you're going to go get a ticket um, for this one or a future one because they're about to sell out every game the rest of the season. Yeah, I think you're right on that. Before we let you go, Tim, and we left a little time for this because we always appreciate your insight. The Pac-12 news, I don't know if you saw Dennis Dodd's article. Um, the Big Ten with Amazon behind it might be looking to do a little poaching now to get that West Coast window for Amazon, which would provide an opportunity for the Big 12. Uh, thank goodness, right, the Big 12 has been aggressive because not being aggressive is what the Pac-12 is dealing with right now. What did you make of that yeah. latest story and, and it, as it pertains to the Big 12 and, and the latest now new wrinkle in all this with Amazon? Yeah, Amazon, um, that Chiefs game was monumental uh, because Amazon not only showed itself, but the entire streaming world, what kind of impact having top-tier games on your service can be. Um, you know, they had a – the Chiefs-Chargers day was their biggest – day of signups for Amazon Prime in their history. Um, and, and that's powerful. But that was a top-tier game, guys. And Amazon's talking about third-tier games for the Big Ten. So those aren't going to really move the needle the way that Chiefs Chargers would. And um, I think you might see Amazon, if there's some kind of alignment with Fox, move into Big 12 negotiations, too, at some point. I, there's a lot going on. But I'm just going to be honest here. I think the college football world has secretly decided there's going to be one less Power Five conference, and they've turned their attention from the Big 12 to the Pac-12. And and they see an opportunity to split up those schools in the Pac-12 and give some to Fox and the Big Ten and some to ESPN, maybe Fox, and maybe Amazon in the um, Big 12. And then the Mountain West can be filler content with a few former Pac-12 schools who I feel horrible for. But um, it's going to go down. It, it, it is. At this point, it almost seems uh, inevitable that the Pac-12 is doomed. It will be divvied up um, in some kind of former fashion with the Big 12 expanding in, out into those schools. All right, Fitz. Well, we appreciate it. What do you guys have going to go PowerCat this week that people need to check out? Yeah, we're, we just put up our – uh, pre-game podcast that's available. We'll, we'll have our Friday walkthrough in the morning tomorrow, which is a video and podcast that, that we're doing that's proven to be really popular. Um, you can just come check us out. We've got a lot of free content um, going up today, and then uh, we'll come back with even more previews tomorrow. As we'll get the fans ready for an 11 a.m. kick at the bill. It's going to be fun. All right, Tim Fitzgerald, GoPowerCat.com, our K-State insider. Fitz, we always appreciate it. Let's see if we can climb up that top 25 even further after this week at home. Thanks, boys. Always good to talk to you. All right, there goes Fitz. We'll have him again next Thursday to break it down. Tech, interesting, an interesting opponent with a new interesting coach. And, man, can't just can't wait all right let's come back we'll hit on Aaron judge tie up some odds and ends now's the time for your calls if you want to make them 869-1240 uh we'll give away some tickets some tea some other things coming up in our next segment as well rolling right along on a thursday edition of sports daily
Welcome back, everybody. Sports Daily on a Thursday. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Caster. Tommy, Aaron Judge, getting closer. Took a while to get to that uh, to that 61 number. So now he's tied Maris. Um, we've talked about before the significance of, you know, getting to that number and passing it, and then we can sort out where we think the real number is with all the inflated numbers of the steroid era and all those things. But 62's, you know, a massive milestone either way, even if you do believe in the other numbers, because it's an American League record, and he's doing it at a time where Triple Crown's in play and all of these things. If he gets there, you giving him the MVP, or you, you, you know, are we going to still stick with Shohei Otani because he's a unicorn? No, I think it's flat out Aaron Judge. I mean, what he's doing offensively. I mean, he he's the triple crown guy. Like that's the chase. I mean, obviously well, we the, had a triple the... crown guy last year too, in Vlad Jr. Right, like that was in the mix and it was never in question. I, yeah. I and I don't disagree. And I don't disagree with you. By the way, I think it. I think nostalgic components to MVPs are just fine, in my opinion. Um, you know, adding an MVP to what will end up being an historic season one way or the other is fine. But I'm going to say this. If he doesn't get the record, I'm not sure I'd give it to him. Really? I think I may stick with Shohei. He's got to get to 62. I think. I, I don't know that definitively, and I, I and we'll get into that as, you know, whatever plays out, plays out. But just like all, you know, off the hip, for me, I'm like, well, you know, if he doesn't get the record, eh, it's I don't know. I don't, I, you know, let's say here's what I'll say. I'll say it this way: if he had 59 home runs and finished the year as a triple crown winner with 59 home runs, I'm not giving him the MVP. Okay, but I mean that's not the reality. Uh, so no, no, I know. I'm but <laughs> I'm just saying like that's where my head's at. So now okay. what I have to decide is. Was 60 enough? I don't think so. Was tying Maris's record enough? I don't think so. I think he might have to get it for me because if I wasn't going to give it to him at 59, if he doesn't break the record, I mean, he's got to break the record. I mean, does he to be the MVP, though? I mean, because, again, like you're, it, it all comes down to what you value in an MVP, right? Is it the most valuable player for your team? Uh, or is it the like individual accomplishments that you know show what you're doing? Um, I mean, look at the Angels; they're they're not they're not going to the playoffs. So Shohei Otani is incredible, and I don't want to discount anything that he's done because he's provided a different kind of entertainment as a Major League Baseball player that we have not seen in our lifetime, and that's incredible. Aaron Judge with what he's doing offensively with the triple crown and the home run chase. And just in general, his team is winning and he's actively contributing to his team, making a playoff run and potentially a world series run. Um, so I think it comes down to what you value most when you're looking at who is the MVP of the league. Because of that, I think you have to give the nod to, to Aaron judge without a doubt, even, even if he didn't break the record because he's contributing at a high level to a team. He's val He's so much more valuable to his right. team with their well, record. They're just a better team, yeah. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And so, so I mean, yeah. I, I think the other piece of it that's going to make it easier, and I'm not saying I wouldn't. I'm I just saying, like, that's where my head's been at with this. Um, the uh, the easy component for Judge, too, like, if you believe in the analytics, and, and I do. I don't, you know, I don't think they're the end-all, be-all like some people, but 
and it, and it makes it even more amazing what Judge is doing. Judge has a higher war than Shohei Otani. I mean, that's pretty remarkable considering Shohei Otani gets to collect offensive and defensive, you know, war to his total. Judge is higher just offensively. That's that's the interesting component of this um, that's going to make it, you know, probably a little bit easier. For instance, last year, Shohei Otani led the league in war and was, you know, for, for Vlad Guerrero, who was flirting with it, by the way, you know, and he, Vlad Guerrero didn't even end up as, you know, by war the best hitter, but let's just use him as an example. Shohei was, was a pretty large distance ahead of Vlad. The best hitter in baseball last year, according to war, was Marcus Simeon, right, at 7.1 uh, wins above replacement. This year, Aaron Judge is more than three runs higher than that. That is... That is remarkable, and that's probably where um, that's probably where it lies. I'm going to look up what the highest war seasons ever are, uh, but, the, but you know the analytics piece of it makes it a little easier, I think, um, to to do that. He's got a, you know Judge has got an OPS right now of over 1,100. I mean, it's just remarkable what he's doing. He's over 100 points higher than Jordan Alvarez at number two. And that's not even just talking about the American League. That's talking about Major League Baseball in general. Paul Goldschmidt, who, you know, has a very, very strong case for National League MVP, has an OPS of 988. And so the distance between Judge, who is the presumptive AL MVP, and Goldschmidt, who has a very strong case for National League MVP, the, even just the difference in OPS and I know Judge has gotten walked quite a bit, especially lately, as you know, pitchers are not wanting to be the one to give up the historic home runs. I understand all of that, and there are so many more statistics other than OPS. You're looking at wins above replacement and, and so on and so forth. But even just the distance between what Judge has done at the plate and his OPS numbers versus the guy who people are ready to crown in the National League for the MVP it's huge. It's a massive yeah. difference. And so I think you've, you've got to, I know, I, I know the significance and the historic run of what Shohei Otani is doing. And it is remarkable, but for this season at the plate and the, the numbers, the statistics that Aaron judge has put up, you even take away the home run chase, even just, you know, take that narrative out of the, out of the, the conversation, the statistics alone support Aaron Judge as the runaway American League MVP. It, it, yeah, I mean, it's it's an easy case to make. Um, in the last 20 years, when you take away Barry Bonds, there have been three other times that a player has been at or above the war that Aaron Judge is putting together. Mike Trout did it in 2012 and 2016 just slightly above, and Judge could still, I, I think, get to that number of 10.5 before this season's over, depending on what he does. Mookie Betts had a 10.7 in 2018. That's it. Those are the guys. And then the other and then the other name, you know, it's Bonds a couple of times outside of that. So, you know, it's not, it's, it's not up there with what Babe Ruth was doing in the 20s, right? But in modern baseball, it's basically as good as we've seen. And, and so... I, it's it's as simple as his team's better and he's relevant and how could he not be the MVP? I mean, really, because and that's where I said nostalgic stuff matters. 
I think you can make a case for Shohei Otani being the MVP every year he's healthy, right? Because he affects the game so much in so many different ways. However, I also think, and I think this way with the Hall of Fame too, sometimes it needs to be as simple as, is that guy a Hall of Famer? Like, was he, you know, was he one of the best at his position for a long period of time in baseball? Then he's probably a Hall of Famer. You know, that's sort of my criteria. It, it, it bleeds into this too. Is Aaron Judge the best player in baseball this year? I mean, your gut says, well, yeah. I mean, he was. He was at least the most interesting, right? And and so it. I, I don't think it'll be that difficult a case to make, but it will be a slam dunk, and he'll get it pretty easily if, in fact, he breaks the record. I think that he'll get more momentum if he can break it. I do think he will break it. The Yankees are doing a great job. They're putting him right at the top of the lineup, getting him as many ABs as they can. The guys, the other guys in the order have got to protect him uh, from getting walked Especially in a game like that. You know, that's that's the thing, too. You're playing the Blue Jays. Everybody's involved in a playoff chase and things matter. He, they're going to walk him. You know, maybe maybe not against a bad opponent, but teams that are in the mix and doing relevant things, they're not going to pitch to Aaron Judge unless they have to. So the other guys in the lineup have some pressure here, too, to make sure they allow him the opportunity to get it. But it's been an awesome story. It's been so long since we've had a legitimate home run chase in baseball like this, too. That's the other thing we should tip the cap like when you've got push alerts from news networks and sports networks and everything else that Aaron Judge got to 60 that that means that baseball's in the spotlight and as much as anything that should get him the MVP I think so too and you know you've got the this this momentum that's carrying on uh right now and and to your point about the amount of times he's being walked and and I absolutely understand the position, especially of divisional teams like the Blue Jays and whatnot, that are going to walk him consistently. I get that. I get that strategy, especially when you've got guys that are batting beneath him in the lineup that I think I saw, and I don't know, I think this was a couple of days ago, so obviously the the stats have changed you know, since I saw this, but I want to say that whatever the stats were, the the person in the order right below Aaron Judge there was a stretch of time over the last week or two where their batting average was abysmal. Like they were not, they, they weren't producing at all in, in that spot in the lineup. And so of course pitchers are going to walk Aaron judge to get to whoever's beneath them in that lineup because they're not producing. And so to, again, to your point, yeah, they, they've got to, the rest of that lineup has got to perform. They've got to protect him a little bit. I don't know if you saw this, um, the, the governor of Connecticut, uh, chimed in, uh, and this this came out a couple of days ago, chimed in about Aaron Judge being walked as often as, he, as he's been walked. He talked, you know, talked about on Twitter about how, I guess this was Instagram actually, about how boring it is to watch Aaron Judge walk multiple times in a game. And so he suggested a rule change, and I want to get your thoughts on this rule change. Okay. He said, new rule, let's try this out. You walk a slugger like Aaron Judge once, he takes first base. You walk him twice in the same game, he gets first base and second base, Three games, so on, four uh, four times, so on, to limit the walks. Now, that's never going to happen, but uh, I thought that was kind of an interesting idea. Yeah, no, I don't agree with it. Um, but, but I appreciate that he is publicly taking the back of Aaron Judge. I, I do sure. think that it's fun to see, because that's what I'm talking about when we talk about MVP. I mean, nobody has put – and this is why Shohei Otani, even more than you know the analytics and the numbers last year, was such a slam-dunk candidate. The historic nature of his season 
put baseball in the spotlight, right? Like we were tr- baseball. People were talking about baseball because of Shohei Otani that probably wouldn't normally be talking about baseball uh, during football season, especially. That's what Aaron Judge is doing this year. Politicians are weighing in. News networks are weighing in. There's a can't miss aspect to a home run chase that is, you know, there's nothing like it that baseball can do besides home run chase, right? So yeah. he's he's doing that for the game. He's not just the most valuable player for the Yankees. He's the most valuable player for the game of baseball, just like Shohei Otani was a year ago because of this chase and because of what it's doing, you know, for the culture of the country right now. And that can't be understated because that's hard to do, much harder to do now in the distracted society uh, that we are. But that's a big deal to be able to do that. And baseball has been able to do it in back-to-back years with two different guys. That That's pretty cool. So where do you stand on the comments that Roger Maris Jr. made last night after Aaron Judge tied the record? You know, he he goes to the press, and he, he was in attendance, and he talked to Aaron Judge, obviously, but he's talking to reporters, and, and he basically says that he feels like Aaron Judge should be the real home run king if he breaks the record, that he's clean, he's a Yankee, he plays the game the right way. And then he actually called on Major League Baseball to take a look at the records and do something about that. And and I was a little bit surprised. I'll give you my take first. A little bit surprised that he was vocal about that because I remember Roger Maris Jr. being in attendance when McGuire and Sosa were in the chase in 98 and then Barry Bonds, you know, broke their records and was a part of that as well. Wasn't super public about his takes at the time, but he's a lot more public now and just basically saying, hey, you know, maybe that the maybe these records should be taken away from these guys. Where do you stand on Maris's comments? No, I no, I don't think you can do it that way. I, I don't think it's that simple. Um, but I, I I don't have any problem with Maris Jr. going to bat that way publicly. I got no issue with him saying that. Should baseball do it? No, they shouldn't because that opens a Pandora's box. Baseball would rather not open, quite frankly. Um, and, and trying to, it's look, it's, it's the same issue we have with all of these guys in the hall of fame, right? Like it's, what do you do with it? I think you just understand it. And, and as people worry about the history of the game, we've talked about it before. You, we know what the black, we know the black Sox. we know Pete Rose, we know the steroid era. We're not just going to forget the steroid era. We're not going to forget that there's a cloud hanging over some of these records and so, you know, as we make our way through, we just kind of feel like that's the real home run record, right? Like, it is, it is, but it isn't. And and I just don't think it's in baseball's best interest to try and do something like that. But it's absolutely in Roger Maris Jr.'s best interest to go to bat, you know, and, and try and, and say those things publicly. That's the kind of thing that's going to keep this very relevant and remind us that, I mean, for all intents and purposes, this is it. Right. Like this is the record. I mean, we because the other the other is always going to have that. You know, we don't really know what to do with it factor to it. I mean, the reality is Sammy Sosa was not as good a baseball player as Aaron Judge is. I don't think, um, you know, we we just but we we don't know that for sure. And we're just going to have to speculate on that. And it is what it is. Right. But. If Judge gets it, it's his record. And I think most fans, most fans, I think, will feel like it's the real record 
but it doesn't mean the other record doesn't exist. It's just there, you know, and you can think whatever you want about it. Yeah, you have to, you know, start looking at the slippery slope aspect. Like, you, you start taking away what Bonds did, McGuire did, Sosa did. Then you have to look at Pete Rose and the all-time hits leader. It, it becomes really tricky. Um, and I don't know. I, where I land on this, I'm just I'm tired of arguing about it. Like, people can believe that Aaron Judge is the real home run king if he breaks Maris's record, and I'm cool with it. If you want to think Barry Bonds is the real home run king, I'm cool with it. Like, at this point, like, I agree with you. Where The records are what they are, and individually, I guess you can you can believe what you want to believe, and you can take comfort in that. I just don't have the capacity to argue it and try to convince people that they're who the real true home run king is. I don't really care. Let's just celebrate where we are in the moment. Yeah, it just doesn't really matter. I mean, that's the thing. It just doesn't really matter, right? Like those things. It's the record if you want it to be the record. Okay, but that doesn't take away the historic nature either way. So just do what you want with it. Uh, All right, let's give away some tickets here. Tommy, Wichita Thunder home opener. We're almost in the home opening month. Details on that? Yep, October 22nd, Interest Bank Arena, Wichita Thunder. They're taking on the Allen Americans. It's also SpongeBob night. If your kids are a fan of SpongeBob, it's a great time. We want to give away four tickets to the home opener. All right, so we got four tickets to the Wichita Thunder home opener. We've got a couple of free iced tea coupons from HTO. Open West coming soon east. Uh, You can get your hands on those right now. If you're our second caller during this break, Jad will find us a winner, and we'll be back with Sports Daily. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. All right, Thursday Night Football as we uh, get closer to wrapping up a Thursday edition. Congratulations, by the way, to Bobby in Wichita. He's headed to the Wichita Thunder home opener, and he's got a couple of free iced teas from HTO coming his way as well. Uh, We'll continue these giveaways as we make our way through here. Always trying to find some things, give away some things on this show. Love doing that. 869-1240. 869-1240. Thursday Night Football, Tommy. We talked about the betting aspects from with Chelsea Messenger. If you missed any of that, you can go back and listen, kfhradio.com. From just the football perspective, quite simply, um, this is a really interesting game. Cincinnati, Tommy, would like to reestablish themselves as a real contender in the AFC. They you know, bounced back to some degree last week, right? We We think that the... I mean, I, I don't think that the Bengals were ever a lost cause by any means, but it wasn't a good start for them this year. But, you know, they get their win against Pittsburgh. Um, uh, sorry, against against the Jets. They lost to Pittsburgh. They get their win against the Jets in relatively convincing fashion. They looked bad against the, you know, the Cowboys and the Steelers. 
The Dolphins come in short week. I think this is a big, big opportunity for the Bengals, and the Dolphins had their big opportunity last week. I'm kind of liking the Bengals here. Yeah, they've got a really big chance to get back to 500 and, and reestablish themselves as the presumptive favorites in their division. Uh, Miami coming off a short week and Tua is banged up and, you know, the back issues, the ankle issues, and not a lot of time to prepare for this game considering the short week uh, and to heal up from those injuries. And so the Bengals, they've got the chance. And I think that Vegas recognizes that as well as three and a half point favorites um, at home. Um, but I, I, you know, I think that this, you have to wonder, and I, I, I tend to side with you on this, that the Dolphins, it could be a letdown game for them after everything they put into the Bills game and getting, you know, grinding out that, that close victory. It looked tight at the end and then the injuries with Tua and then, and now they're on the road to Cincinnati. Um, I, I do like the Bengals in this one too. Which is dangerous, right? We know in the NFL, if we all kind of like something, you know how that goes. Um, because the Dolphins are good. Like, the Dolphins are really good. They're unbeaten. Um, their wins are against, you know, obviously the Bills last week. But they have a win over the Ravens in a big comeback fashion. And the Patriots, like, their quality of opponents has been good. Um, it, Dolphins it just, need a break, that, though. They, they need to take a little break. I mean, it's been I, I, well, a that's, grind that, for them I, no, to start I, the I, season, right? I agree. Like, you know, when you've got that much emotionally and, and the divisional game last year with uh, last week with the Bills is such a, you know, the comeback against the Ravens. That's emotionally taxing, right? The the way that it played out last week against the Bills, that's taxing emotionally. Can they continue that and go through? I mean, yes, teams do that all the time, right? They just sort of have that swag. But the Bengals are also really good. And and I think that they're trying to refine some of theirs too. Burrow, who got off to a bad start. I mean, really for me, it's I just believe in Burrow and I believe in the players. And you know, even if even if Miami comes in and shakes them up a little bit, at some point I got to believe those players for Cincinnati, despite their line at times, will be better. Three and a half points better. I, that that part of it gets really tricky and complicated. But just as far as like picking a winner, I I, I think the Bengals can do it. Should be a fun game. Uh, good news is you can hear it right here on KFH seven o'clock Thursday night football. Dolphins at Bengals. It'll come on uh, right after KU Hawk Talk. We'll get into that schedule. What's coming up here on the network today and put a bow on this Thursday when we return on Sports Daily. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.